Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Provided Localtopia is the annual celebration of all things St. Pete, where they shut down several roads in the middle of downtown, creating a real mess if you're trying to make it through town and traffic, uh, but every sort of local business, whether that's the breweries, the restaurants, whether that's a place that sells plants or people that do art, all set up and they celebrate all things St. Pete. Uh, to me, what's always interesting is not just what's going on at Localtopia, not just what's happening inside the borders of the event, but what's happening just outside the borders of the event. Uh, because yesterday, as I sort of walked around and we sort of hit the four corners, there was something interesting on all four of the corners as you made your way into Localtopia. On two of the corners, there were people who were there who were um, encouraging people uh, to be a part of some sort of religion or another. On the other two corners, there were people uh, that were encouraging uh, people to be politically involved in some way or another, in one party, one form or another. And it's interesting because the two things, just about the only two things that Localtopia does not allow inside, does not allow us to celebrate about St. Pete is politics and religion. And we get that, right? Can we think of anything more divisive in our day than the topics of politics and religion? Uh, 538, the data journalism site, uh, did an article not too long ago that talked about statistically, this is in our culture right now, one of the most divided times in our history politically. And so this morning, what I don't want to do is talk about politics or religion. What I don't want to do is talk about politics or Christianity. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to talk about politics and Christianity. Politics and Christianity. Now, already something is happening in this room right now. When I uttered those words, something happened, right? Some people, as soon as I said that, just ever so slightly, hopefully so that their neighbor didn't notice or the person sitting behind them didn't notice, some people leaned in a little bit. Some people got really excited. Oh, man. He's going to talk about Jesus and politics, and he's going to be on my team. And whoever my team is, he is going to, he's going to take the other team to task. He's going to be like the Patriots. Sorry. Sorry, it's too easy, right? Some people lean in because they are very excited to talk about this topic. Other people tense up. They squirm. They get a little nervous. Why? Because they're skeptical about this. You see, the trouble is, is that most of us either get way too excited about the idea of politics and Jesus or way too skeptical. And in both of those cases, what we're showing is that we're confused. 
And what we're confused about is not quite what you would think. You see, our problem is that we don't understand the biblical idea of the creature and the creator. What we don't understand is the difference between the creature and the creator. This is something that the Bible goes through lengths to talk about. It talks about how God is the one who is in charge. But it's not just that. If we just think of this idea that God is in charge, we miss out on something. See, because the story in Genesis, the story of the Garden of Eden, teaches us something about who God is and who he made us to be. And one of the things that it teaches us is that God created us to create. You were made, you were designed to create. You were designed to take things that have never been made before and to make them appear. Some of you are incredible artists. I have seen uh, some of the art that you guys do. And you take, you take chunks of wood and metal and you wrestle them into beauty. You take pen and ink and call beauty into existence. It's interesting. When, when I think of the Garden of Eden, what I almost always think about is that like the whole earth was the Garden of Eden. But it wasn't. It was a small patch. It was a small square. And what did God tell Adam and Eve? He said, Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to push the Garden of Eden further. I want the Garden of Eden to go further north. I want it to stretch out west. I want you to make the Garden of Eden beautiful down south and to the east. He calls us to create and extend the garden. But not only that, he gives us a sort of authority. Adam is the one that is called to name the animals. And then when Eve comes along, he tells Adam and Eve together that they are to rule over the earth. God creates mankind, however he did that, he does that and gives them the power to create beauty and to have authority. Now, is the beauty that we create the same as the beauty of God? No. The most beautiful painting of a sunset is not itself a sunset. Right. The, uh, right now at the Dali Museum, uh, there is a visiting uh, artist. They always sort of bring through different artists uh, to sort of highlight alongside of Salvador Dali. And right now it's the Dutch surrealist whose name is Magritte. And most people don't know Magritte very well. But what you may know is he was like the first guy to create a meme. Uh, Magritte painted a painting of a pipe and it's a beautiful real life looking painting of a pipe. And then he wrote underneath of it and beautiful script in French or Dutch or I don't Europe language, right? He wrote in that and the words underneath the pipe are, does anybody know? This is not a pipe. I mean, it is as realistic and beautiful a picture of a pipe that could be painted with the caption, this it's not a pipe. Why? Because it is a painting of a pipe. The most beautiful painting of a sunset you could ever create is not itself a sunset. Only God can do that. 
the authority that you have, whether that's authority that you have in your workplace, whether that's authority you have that's been given to you by someone else, whatever that is, that authority is ultimately not the authority of God. And see, what happens is we have to begin to understand that idea. The idea that our authority is not ultimate and the beauty that we create is not ultimate, that we are ultimately not the creators. We are ultimately creatures because even in authority, we are not the ultimate judge. When we complain about our authorities, they are not the ultimate authorities either. And you see, when we talk about politics, it's very easy for us to begin to complain because our side didn't win in this election or that. The people that we wanted to win didn't. And it's funny because we squabble over these things. And yet I can't help but think of Andrew Brunson, a pastor in Turkey who was jailed for nearly five years on suspicion that he was doing something sketchy and trying to overthrow the government because he was a missionary. That's not happening to us right now in America. I can't help but think about early reign Presbyterian church in China who is going through all that they're going through where their pastor and almost every elder in their church has been arrested, where their people are being followed. And I think, look, we elected a government that we don't like and we complain about it. How many people live under dictatorships that are awful? Now that does beg a question, doesn't it? If God is ultimately the one that gives authority to these people, why does he do that? And I think that's a fascinating question, but I want to set that aside just for a minute, because what I want to tell you this morning and what I think we're going to see as we read part of Peter is that we mess up this creature creator distinction. And when we do that, our allegiances and our worship gets all out of line. So here's what I want to do. I want to read you where Peter talks about this, where Peter talks about Jesus and empire, Jesus and politics. So stand with me. If you would, I'm going to read first Peter chapter two verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the empire. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. As we read through this passage, there are things that certainly strike us as uncomfortable. When it begins from the jump to tell us that we should be submissive to every form of human government, when it ends by telling us that we should honor the emperor, part of us is given pause, or at least it should be. 
Especially when you think that Peter was probably writing this during the time of Nero, one of the worst Caesars that we know of. And Peter says about Nero that we should honor him. Really? Him? Like, like I can imagine if it was like one of the good guys, but we should honor Nero? No, 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 no. See, 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 Peter, you, you, you're over, you're over in Ephesus. You, you're not in Rome. You don't know what it's like to live with Nero. No, Peter says in a letter to all churches in all parts of the world that you should honor him. And see, as we read this, one of the things that we see is that for some of us, we put too much emphasis on political power and on politics. You see, we see where it talks about submission. We say, yes, yes, that's what we want to do. But you see, one of the things that this passage reminds us is that we are not ultimately servants of Rome. We are not ultimately servants of whatever empire we are a part of. Who does the passage say we are servants to? The passage says that you and I are servants of God. You see, we don't put our ultimate, unique trust in Caesar and the empire. We put our ultimate and unique trust in God alone. Now, that's tough for us because many of us who are Christians have ballot box self-righteousness, right? We sort of talk to our friends and we say on November 3rd or whatever day, election day falls on any given year. Oh, oh, Jesus, who, who, or Jesus friend, who did you vote for in the election? Right? And we say, oh, oh, you voted for that person. You must not be a good Christian. Right? And we base our judgment of other people on who they voted for. Or, or we wear our, our sticker. Oh, oh, you didn't know that there was a municipal city primary election for neighborhood counselor today? That it was a, a runoff that applied? To, uh, I, no, but I voted. I knew that. I am a good citizen. You must not be. Right? Or, or we don't just say, oh, See, see, here's the thing. There's, there's, there's some people who say, oh, if you're a Christian, you can only vote for this party. And honestly, there's people who say that for both parties. And then there's the people that want to show their righteousness with their I voted sticker. But, but there's another type of self-righteousness that we come at, right? Which is the third party voter self-righteousness, right? Ah, I, I didn't give in to the lesser of two evils like you did. I'm more self-righteous than you because I voted for some obscure candidate that you've never heard of. Right. It's like it's like hipster applied to politics. Right. Oh, you've never heard of my presidential candidate. Right. (laughs) He says as he drinks from his LaCroix. (laughs) Look, in all three of those cases, whether it's determining how righteous you are by who you vote for, whether it's determining how righteous you are and how good of a person and citizen you are by the fact that you vote in obscure elections, or whether it's by saying that you're better than people because you don't vote for their fill in the blank with how you're better than them. All three of those things are you putting too much trust in politics and yourself. 
All three of those things are you trying to earn your righteousness before Jesus by doing those things. All three of those things are ways that you love politics more than you love Jesus. Look, do you know why it's so weird? You know why I have to be cagey about every illustration that I have in my sermon today? Because I'm messing with the idols of Christianity. Because if I say a name, if I say two names in this sermon today, I could make all of you turn me off right now. Just by saying the names. You know why that is? Because that's who you worship. When you get that offended by saying a name, by hearing a name, you want to know why that is? Because it's revealing what your heart is actually worshiping. And we don't want to hear that because we like the feeling, the rush of being right. We like the feeling of having it together. We like the feeling of winning. Now, this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to say, first of all, that we as Christians have done a bad job with this. Before that, I'm sorry. But I also want to point out something else. You see, it used to be, maybe even 10 years ago, that there was a, a phrase that worked to describe what's going on in our hearts. And it was this. When you mix religion and politics, you get politics. Right? That was the phrase that used to sort of describe things. When you mix religion and politics, what you end up with is politics. But that's not entirely true anymore. Because you know what we've done as a culture? We've turned politics into our religion. How many people wake up and have their daily devotions in first New York Times. How many people wake up and have their quiet time with the book of Washington Post? Or, heaven forbid, the Proverbs of Twitter. (laughs) And Peter reminds us you are not slaves of Caesar. You are not ultimately citizens of Rome. City church, you are citizens of heaven. You are exiles here on earth. You are sojourners here in this place. This is ultimately not your home. Which leads me to the second thing that Peter fights against, which is some people have gotten so much this idea that heaven is not my, that heaven is my home and that this is not my home. I'm just a passing through that. What we do is we ignore any other idea. We ignore any call to action. We say, ah, well, yes, yes, because, because uh, this is not my home. I'm in exile. I'm a sojourner. I should just run away. Right? We, we see this in church history. There was an entire set of people that are, that are called the Desert Fathers that said, I want so little to do with Rome. I want so little to do with the empire that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out in the most remote part of the desert I can find. I'm going to build myself a hut, and it's going to be me, Jesus, in the hut. And it's going to be great. And that's going to be it. 
And how many people got to hear the gospel from Jeremiah in his hut? You see, Peter's call to us is not just and is not to retreat. Peter's call to us this morning is not to uh, be like those from the Quaker and quietist traditions whose response is to completely absolve themselves of any political involvement or any action as it has to do with citizens. No, what does Peter say? Peter gives us a very specific list of actions that we are to engage in. We're to submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We are to do what is good. We are to live as free people and to live as servants of God. And then he kind of rapid fire there at the end goes, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What's interesting though is that middle one, that do good. Where Peter says that we should do good, that by doing good, we would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You see, the faith that Peter is calling us to lead is not one that retreats from the public eye, is not one that runs to the desert, is not one that throws our hands up and says, everything is bad, I just want to do this, this is all internal. No, what Peter calls us to is the kind of life that makes a difference outside of us. Look, if you just change what's going on in your heart, if you just change what's going on in your heart, who can see that? Nobody. Peter's call to us is to do good so that we other people will see it and be put to silence. Uh, Those of you who are are friends with me on social media know that this week I made a post. And on that post, what I said is, here's what I want. I want everybody to reflect on the idea of Christians and politics. I want you to talk about that. And I want you to reply to one another. And if you don't want to put it on there, you can send me a DM. Church, what people think about us from outside the church is not what Peter describes in this passage. We are failing miserably. We're failing miserably because we are not honoring everyone. We're failing miserably because we are not fearing God, because we are not doing the sort of good that makes a difference in the world around us. We're not living the sort of life that Peter has called us to in this passage. You see, some of the reasons why we don't live this sort of life is that you and I have given into a sort of Christian form of nihilism. Nihilism, that philosophy that says that nothing matters, that nothing's going to work, that everything is pointless. This is the, the philosophy that underlies so many, so many shows that we watch that are devoid of redemption, where everyone dies in the end. I'm reminded of, of a book that I read when I was in high school called Things Fall Apart, and it's this, this story of this man who is, who is working so hard, and, and an accident befalls him, and someone dies in his fields, and he is, has to serve out a sentence for an accident that happened on his property. And then after he has served his sentence, after, after things are finally starting to turn around, he moves back home and dies. Things fall apart. And most of us have this idea that no matter what I do, it's just going to be bad. 
We don't have any sort of hope. And Peter calls us to hope. And what's that hope he calls us to? The hope that this world is not the end. That things will not always be like this because Jesus' kingdom is breaking in. Because Jesus is making all things new. Because Jesus is the one who is ultimately in charge, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And so he is calling us to a third way. Not to run away from politics and pretend that we can't change anything. Not to run away from public action. But also not to put our hope in the way that we normally do things, the way that everyone else around us does it. You see, what Peter is doing is he is contrasting the empire with the kingdom of God. The empire grinds on the poorest and left out to serve the rich and the powerful. The kingdom serves the least of these as if we were serving Jesus himself. The empire prizes winning, asserts power, and exercises dominance. The kingdom prizes humility and focus on the needs of others. The empire is a culture of death, making the lives of the most productive and powerful more important than the lives of the most vulnerable. The kingdom actively looks for ways to protect and honor the vulnerable as fellow creatures under our creator. City Church, what what he's calling us to is to honor everyone. And to honor somebody, one of the ways that we have to begin to do that is we have to begin to root out hate for others. You can't honor somebody you hate. I have been guilty of this in the past month. As many of you know, we had some struggles as we left our last church home, as we left our last building with our landlord. And I have not honored Rick in the way I've talked to you and the way I've had private conversations with you and the way that I have done so many things. I have failed to honor him because I have had hate and let it set in my heart. Who is that for you, City Church? Who do you refuse to honor because you hate them? what we see in this passage is also a beautiful picture of Jesus because Jesus submitted to authority, even evil authority. Pontius Pilate and the Caesar who he served under were not worthy of respect because of how good they were as governors and Caesar. They were worthy of respect because God had given it to them. And so Jesus lived under a dictator and then Jesus submitted himself to a sham trial to injustice itself that culminated in an unjust execution. Why? Why did Jesus submit himself to authority like this? Because in the words of, of Dr. King, who we celebrated a few weeks ago, hate cannot cast out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus died to break the cycle where power begets power. Where dominance asserts itself over dominance. Jesus broke that cycle, not just in this world, 
but in your heart and mine. When we repent and actively come to Jesus, he begins to break the cycle of trusting too much in other things. And so City Church, our call this morning is a call to repent of the hope that you have placed in the power of politics. The unbelief that you have shown in the lordship of Jesus over everything in our lives and the failure to act in the face of injustice when you've seen it. This is the call to me as well. But as we do that, something begins to happen in you and I. As we repent of that, we begin to trust that he is in control. We begin to let our hand pry open and see him as ultimately the creator, not us. Him as the creator, not the creatures who we are trying to place our trust in. And so ultimately, this is a call for us that the kingdom of God is far greater than the cakes of dust that are being offered to us by the empire. So City Church, let us live as free people. Let us live as servants of the one true God. Because as we begin to do that, we will stand in contrast to the empire around us. We will become people who wage peace in our city instead of division. We will become the people who understand what it's like to have conversations where we disagree with someone politically and still honor them. And that is the kind of thing that takes a miracle of Jesus proportions. Let's pray.